Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Nasiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 389, Founding a High-Tech Security Company with Christian White. There's this quote I'll, I'll, I'll uh, give you that, that I really like that Warren Buffett says, and he says, time loves a good business. I and mean, the idea is, you know, if you have a good business, you know, I, I, we didn't have this master plan for how we were going to grow, but we said, look, let's stick to some fundamentals. Let's, let's measure these indicators of performance, and then let's reinvest back into the business. After serving in the Army for six and a half years, Christian founded an advisory and technology firm focused on helping high-growth tech companies build, manage, and certify their security, privacy, and compliance programs. He has quickly grown his company, Risk360, to over 20 employees, and it seems like they are just getting started. In this interview, we talk about character and grit. We talk about being a steward of a company. We talk about the differences in leadership in and out of uniform, about long-term thinking, finding a co-founder, and much more. As always, at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links to everything we discuss, as well as 380 other episodes just like this one, all for free. With that, let's dive into my conversation with Christian. Joining me today in Atlanta, Georgia, my guest is Christian White. Christian, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Thanks for having me, Justin. It's great to be here. And so for listeners, I want to give a quick background. Christian is the managing director and co-founder of Risk360, an advisory and technology firm focused on helping high-growth technology companies build, manage, and certify their security, privacy, and compliance programs. He is a graduate of West Point, a six-and-a-half-year Army veteran, most recently serving as company commander in Fort Campbell. He holds an MBA from the Georgia Institute of Technology. And let me ask you this, actually, Christian. Do you prefer Christian or CW? Um, either one. Either one. Okay. The, the team calls me CW because uh, our co-founder's name is Christian as well. And uh, since he started the business and I, I joined quickly after, he got to keep the name. So. <laughs> That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, let's let's talk about um, maybe rewinding the clock when you were in in the Army. Mm-hmm. How did you approach that decision to leave the Army? And what was that transition like when you left? Yeah, that was a, that was a tough decision. You know, I think, uh, you know, I was always committed to staying, you know, for at least five, which was the commitment coming out of West Point. But I, I thought that it could be a career for me. Um, and I thought what I'd probably do is just the different junctures, you know, reassess and make decisions. Um, I guess the decision I made really when uh, I was deployed to Afghanistan as a company commander and, and my wife was nine months pregnant. And uh, my brigade commander was gracious enough to uh, make a way for me to come back for the birth of my child. And that was my first, uh, my first son. Um, so I went back there, uh, was able to be there for the birth and then flew back for five months. And uh, so she was, you know, by herself with a, a brand new baby figuring out motherhood. And uh, that's when we figured out, you know, that this is, uh, this is probably the point at which we get out. So after company command is uh, when I made my transition out. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't have kids for God over 10 years after I get out, got out of the military. But when I, when I did, that was one of the driving forces was like that kind of eventuality of like, eventually I'm going to have kids. And just for me personally, I didn't want to to have that family situation, but I can imagine, I, I, especially now with a two-year-old, I can't even imagine your wife with this, you know, month old baby and, and being solo on it. That's a lot. Yeah, for sure. So I think family is probably the biggest thing. How did you, as you knew you were leaving the army, like what, what, what was going through your head in terms of like what, what you're going to do next? Yeah, I had no idea, <laughs> which is why I decided to go, uh, you know, pursue an MBA program. Um, I needed to work as well. So I, I did uh, an executive format where I was able to go to school on the weekends, uh, Friday nights, um, but then also uh, have a job. So I, I had no idea what I was going to do professionally, but I figured you know, I went into the MBA program with one goal, and that was to start a business as an outcome of that program. I didn't know what business. I didn't know how it was going to happen. That was just kind of the, the lighthouse that was on the horizon. But I said, in, in the meantime, you know, I got to do whatever it takes to, uh, you know, make the transition. And uh, everyone that I've talked to has had the same story and that it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to, to leave a team environment 
and uh, figure out the civilian world. So I think uh, the one thing I would, I would tell my, myself and others going through that, it, it, be patient and uh, understand that it will be rough, but that's mm. okay. You keep moving, you get through it. Um, so right after, you know, I, I started the MBA, we had moved to Atlanta and, um, you know, I, I didn't know what I was gonna do. So I got uh, an internship, I worked with an accounting firm for about a year. Um, and, you know, I just kind of had to eat, eat humble pie a little bit. You know, you go from being a company commander with a lot of responsibility um, to being, you know, the old intern at an accounting firm. And everybody's looking at you like, you know, you're the old guy and, and you know nothing. Uh, how do you provide value? So, um, you know, the first few months, just a lot of grinding, figuring out, you know, what am I doing? How can I contribute to the team? How can I, you know, earn my keep? And um, I was able to do that. And, and the, the firm saw that. So they offered me a full-time position. Um, so that's kind of how I got my break, um, you know, making it in the civilian world, uh, getting a job anyways. <laughs> would you, uh, you know, looking back, would you recommend an MBA to veterans in similar position and, and specifically the executive MBA? Mm -hmm. um, I would, I guess it depends on your goals, you know, like, I feel like with uh, master's programs, it's not so much, uh, you need to define your goals, right? What, what's your outcome? Because I wasn't going in it for, you know, to get a degree. I wasn't going in there necessarily for an education. I went in there with one goal and that was to start a business. So um, if, you, if you can define your goals versus feel like the MBA is going to give you something, I think that's powerful because then you're, you're driving that. Whereas if you say, you know, I'm going to get my MBA and figure something out, I think the MBA will give you better opportunities uh, coming out of that. But if you don't define success, how will you know if you achieved it? Looking back, and, and let me give listeners, uh, like, a, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, I want to, because I think this is a, a valuable lens. Um, you've been at Risk 360 for a couple of years now. Your team is over 20 employees, which in my mind is kind of like, it's a pretty major milestone. Like in my mm -hmm. sense, when I talk to entrepreneurs, you know, I, I mean, this is just completely anecdotal, but it's like 95% never make it to that level where they have an actual team around them. They're kind of in that zone yeah. where they're having to do all the work, but you, you, you've actually got a, a team underneath you. So like from, from this vantage point, looking back, could you have done this straight out of the army? Like how essential was the skills that you learned at the MBA, but also the experience of interning or working at a few other companies? Yeah. Um, I, I think going into the MBA program gave me time to just think and to reflect and to take a tactical pause, even though I was you know, working full time during the day, going to school in the evenings and then, um, you know, family at the same time, like the op tempo is different. You know, you're not waking up to get to a PT formation super early. You're not, you're not necessarily burning the midnight oil. So that, because, you know, the MBA program is about, you know, business. I was thinking in terms of business. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet my business partner day one of the program. Um, although I didn't know he'd be my business partner. He was the only other person in the program that was, uh, had a goal to start a business as an outcome. So because we met early on and kind of broke the ice over having the same name, um, we spent two years vetting each other with a view to starting a business. So that was two years of being on projects together, two years of talking business plan and, you know, product market fit and all that good stuff. So I'd say, you know, we really were in it together for two years before even launching. So that was kind of our preparation time. And I think outside of having that time, I wouldn't have thought through all the things I needed to. It's, it's, it's one of the things I wanted to ask about because I feel like, I feel like having a good partner in founding a business can be one of the, can make a critical difference and it can also, it, it is almost like a second marriage. And so was it, yeah. was it kind of clearly communicated to each other of like, Hey, maybe we th should think of doing this and therefore we should try to get on projects together. Or was this kind of like a secret mission for you to like evaluate them on the side? Um, I definitely didn't go into, you know, uh, the relationship thinking that, oh, this is my business partner. It was more like, hey, this is someone who's got similar interests. It'd be great to get to know him and learn about, you know, he's got a lot of background in information security. I'm, I'm interested in that. I'd like to kind of share thoughts with him. 
Um, and it kind of just evolved, I guess, a little bit, um, not intentionally at first, but after a while, you know, we started realizing that, hey, this would be a really good fit. And, and it really is like a second marriage. Um, so choose your partner carefully because <laughs> uh, it, it really is like that. But, you know, if you look at all great teams uh, in the military, you know, for every officer, there's a, a non-commissioned officer that's, that's partnered with him. And, you know, any measure of success that I ever had in the military was because of my platoon sergeant, because of my first sergeant. So, you know, it, it's interesting that the Army has kind of figured that out, that, that, you know, leaders need a companion. They need someone that they can bounce ideas off, be a, conf, a confidant, an advisor. Um, so that's kind of what we are to one another. And, and he has skill sets that I don't have, and I think vice versa. That's great. What was the, well... Again, to set set kind of foundation for listeners, you bump into someone, maybe another West Point grad or another Army veteran, and he's like, you know, Christian, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that? I think uh, in, in most simplistic terms, I would say, you know, I help companies build, manage, and certify security and privacy programs. Um, you know, now what does that mean? Well, it depends on the industry and the reasons, but you know, every good company probably has a security program, probably has a privacy program. Um, you know, and there's different drivers for why you would have those or what the, the shape and size of that is. Uh, but in simplistic terms, that's what we do. Uh, we're a technology firm, we're an advisory firm. Um, we have a GRC platform that's called Phalanx. Um, and, and that is really kind of the center or the hub for all the advisory that we do. But we are an advisory firm at the end of the day, and it's really helping companies, you know, build those programs. And the reason we chose the high tech uh, growth industry, uh, which is kind of agnostic uh, uh, to, to uh, you know, financial services, healthcare, et cetera, is because they're building stuff that's really cool and they're moving fast and they need help. And, and that's where we come in and, and we like partnering with them. We like the culture. We like the fast paced movement. Um, and so that's a great fit for kind of what we're building. What was the, as you look back, how long ago was the starting point? And like, what do you view as kind of the moment where this started to come into the world or like the idea started to formulate? Like, how, what do you view as the genesis? Uh, well, I guess we can go back to 2001, uh, me sitting on a bed in high school reading uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think the two things I wanted to do in life was always to, you know, serve my country. Um, and, and I was able to do that. And, and it was a very humbling experience, uh, awesome experience. The other thing I wanted to do was uh, start a business. And so when we made the decision to get out of the Army, that, you know, it was time to start a business. That was the next thing on the horizon. Um, but specifically for Risk 360, that just came out of um, Christian and my relationship and figuring out, you know, what do we want to do? And, and I said to him, look, I want to build a team. Like that's, that's what I did in the army. That's what I did at West Point is, you know, be part of amazing teams. So we said, uh, okay, let's build a team around uh, this industry information security, um, because um, it, it's a growing industry. There's a lot of need there. Um, so let's find the best people we can find. Let's train them. Um, so you, you, you'll notice a lot of those teams are very <laughs> military centric, you know, training, building teams. Um, and I think if, if you have a focus on that, you can do that in any industry. I, I was going to say that that's what stood out to me from, from hearing you say that just now is this sense where you had this driving desire to start a company, but almost like an openness to what that looks like. And then it seems like your, your partner, Christian, has some knowledge of an industry. You also notice like this, this industry is definitely going to grow. And it almost seems like an asset for you to say like, all I really care about is starting a company and growing a team. So you can be really flexible. It's not like you needed it to be in a certain industry or anything like that. Do you, do you view it as kind of an asset that you were more open to industries and, and what the company would look like? Yeah, I, I think on the positive side, um, that, that made me very flexible on the negative side. It wasn't defined. Um, but when, you know, I met Christian and I realized, you know, we're a good fit. 
and that he was a deep industry expert, that he had made his career in information security, I said, all right, well, this is, and obviously uh, this is, this is a really good fit because what I'll bring are skill sets that um, he doesn't necessarily have, you know, a different background, but he's the industry expert. Um, and so he was able to get me up to speed, um, at least point me in the right direction and let me grind through it um, to become, you know, within four and a half years, you know, I'm good at what I do. And then together, we've been able to recruit really high performing individuals who fit with our core values. Um, and, and to me, that's that's the building block of teams right there. What was, so you're, you've got your family, you've got a job, you've got school yeah, and you're also starting to, you know, incubate this idea. Mm-hmm. Was it at what point in the year, in your MBA journey, did you actually say like, this is the, I, this is the company that we're going to do together? I, I, I think even up to the day we graduated, it was, uh, well, I guess, um, a few months before we graduated is when we officially launched. But I would say even that semester going into it, we didn't know what that would look like. We thought we were going to do a software company around vendor management. um, And that changed. And I think when we eventually launched, um, we realized, Hey, let's start with the basics. Let's just, let's just start with the fundamentals that we can do because we weren't software engineers. So we said, what can we do? Well, we can advise. Like we, we understand information security, Um, we can advise companies, we can do IT audit type work. So let's start there and let's just get the blocking and tackling down and be really good at that. And if we can do that really well, we'll be able to build something from that. And so that's what we did. And, um, maybe the hardest part is just being patient, like having a goal in mind and moving toward that goal and realizing that it's a journey and it's not necessarily about the destination, but, but it is about the journey. And as long as you're moving in the right direction, I think that's all that matters. So, you know, eventually we did bring on engineers and now we do have a software platform and it's, it's a little bit different than we thought it would be when we started, but it's a better, it's a better fit for the market. Um, but it was starting with the blocking and tackling. I, I think what's so great about that is, you know, what I'm hearing in that is you wanted to, you wanted to have something tangible that you could start with. And I could see, and I have seen myself in a similar situation being like, well, I need to have engineers. I need to have a product. I need to build this. But it seems like you found a piece that you could immediately execute and also monetize. And that that gave you then the room to say like, okay, now is the point at which we want to start investing in developers or engineers. Is, is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. That's so great. Yeah. It is a more disciplined approach, um, I think, and it's not for everybody, but the reason why we liked it is because we weren't all about the exit. You know, it was about, we wanted to build a team. Like I wanted that personally, because it's like, I missed having a team. Like I missed waking up doing PT with, you know, 130 people. Um, And so, you know, because by building a team and kind of building a lifestyle associated with that um, was one of our goals, we weren't you know, interested in necessarily raising funding because we said, well, if we raise funding, now we're on somebody else's timeline. We have to move at a certain speed. We have to do certain things. We have to adapt certain business practices, which may not make a fundamental business sense, such as operating at a negative cash flow. Like you don't, you don't really want to do that because you know, you're going to run out at some point. So you got to raise your next round. So for us in a services business, we said, you know, let's just start with the fundamentals. Let's keep it simple. You know, uh, Simple set of uh, you know uh, services that we can offer customers, positive cash flow, you know, adding team members as it makes sense, as we're able to afford it, and um, you know that's just how we started, and and we've been able to grow because of that. Uh, and and I just want to name for listeners that like you know I I have a bias here where I I really like the way that you think about this because that that's what I'm trying to do with my own company as well. But sometimes I think about it in that it's like the the company, you know, if this is really an entity outside of me, the company has its own life. It's like it's it's like its own child that will, you know, develop at its own rate and and you can't force certain things. And i've I've seen in other businesses where I've forced, 
change. I forced growth and that was maybe good for me, but not good for the company. And so I've been thinking with Captivate a lot around like, how do you, like you said, like, how are you patient and how are you willing to let things move at their own pace? And I'd love to, to d- double click down on that for you was with, you know, was that, um, what, what challenges there were there? Like, was there a sense of either like your own financial need driving growth or a sense of like, well, other companies grow faster or competition? Like what were some of the impediments to letting things grow at their own pace? And then how did you change your mindset to allow the the company to do whatever it needed to do? Um, so I, there's this quote I'll, I'll, I'll uh, give you that, that I really like uh, that Warren Buffett says, and he says, uh, time loves a good business. Um, and the idea is, you know, if you have a good business, um, you just need to give it time, you know, and, and it'll grow. So, you know, I, I, we didn't have this master plan for how we we're going to grow, but we said, look, let's stick to some fundamentals. Let's, let's measure, you know, uh, these indicators of performance, and then let's reinvest back into the business. Um, so that does take some financial discipline because you have to say, well, do I want to personally, you know, uh, be compensated better or do I want to reinvest back into my business? So then you have to say, well, why am I in business? What, what, are, what are my goals? And so we, we decided to, you know, heavily invest in the, the growth of the business um, because we think ultimately that's, that's a good long-term strategy. Um, and so by measuring, you know, key performance indicators, figuring out, hey, you know, we're a little bit heavy on cash flow. We need to make sure that we hire in order to continue to serve our clients. Um, or, hey, you know what? We're, we're not doing as well as we thought we would. Let's hold off on uh, making that next hire. Um, those are kind of like tactical decisions that, you know, we're making in the moment. Um, and I think after making enough of those, you start to kind of have a, a feel uh, for, for how that goes and, you know, when it's time to make a decision. I, I like this thought too, of you, you're having these metrics and you're consciously making the decision to reinvest in the business. What advice do you have for listeners who aspire to a company in terms of, um, was there like a number of key performance indicators or KPIs, like a set number that you tried to focus on? And how did you keep that alive? Was that like a weekly thing that you and Christian checked in on? Is this a daily thing, a monthly thing? Like how did you bring that to the forefront of your mind? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, so I guess I can say there, there are three books that we largely based our business on. Um, the first book is called Scaling Up by Vern Harnish, um, which talks about like the four key things that you really need to focus on uh, in scaling a business, which is uh, people, um, execution, um, cash, and strategy. Um, so those four things, so that's what we started with. We said, you know, what are, what do we need to do for these four things? Um, that has evolved over time. And, you know, Jim Collins had this small leaflet that he put out uh, called uh, the flywheel. Um, and Jim's philosophy was there's only five or six things that every company should be doing. And if you do those five or six things, you're going to spin the flywheel and it's going to get easier to spin. Um, and so a lot of great companies have defined their flywheel. Amazon has one. Uh, Vanguard has one. So we said, you know, what are ours? So we've, we've created that. Um, and, and so the idea uh, was that, you know, by doing a few actions and then focusing our effort on those actions, that would, that would drive the business, at least in theory. And, and, that, and that's proved to be true so far. Uh, the other two books I'll mention real fast, uh, Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. Um, and then the last is uh, Traction uh, by Gino Wickman. Um, and the, the combination of those three books really helped us build our business philosophy around how we wanted to grow a risk 360. Um, and so that's kind of been our, our, I guess, our guiding principles for, for building a business. That's great. And for listeners, I'll put in the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org links to that scaling up great game of business traction. Um, and, and we'll have another question towards the end about resources to come back to that. But um, so, so maybe let me get back to the, the, the storytelling aspect here. So it sounds like up until the last day of business school or, you know, up until the end of business school, you're thinking about this. What was the, what was the moment at which you decided I'm going to leave my company 
and I will now be working on this full time. Um, so, that, you know, I knew that decision was going to come eventually. And, you know, that's the hard decision uh, for those people that don't like heights, like myself. Uh, like airborne school was a lot harder for me than ranger school because, you know, I didn't want to jump out of that plane and I knew eventually I'd have to. And so I had to psych myself up and then just do it. And it's not dissimilar in business. You know, if you prepare, you know, to start a business, you know how you're going to go about it. You don't necessarily know what the outcome is going to be. You don't know, you know, how you're going to necessarily succeed, but you know, it's something that you want to do. You just got to jump. You just got to make the, make the decision. Um, so, you know, I remember Christian called me up one afternoon. Um, we had set some conditions for, for, you know, us beginning together and those conditions were met. And so we said, well, are we going to do it or not? So I said, yeah, we're going to do it. And um, my wife had just given birth to our uh, second son two weeks earlier. So, you know, we're thinking like, well, what about healthcare? What about, what about all these like practical things you need to consider? Um, but you figure it out. You know, I think that's, we like to say um, at Risk 360, you know, what we're looking for are great teammates who can take the letter to Garcia. Uh, if you're familiar with that story, uh, message to Garcia, um, you know, you don't, you don't have all the answers, you figure it out. And I think that's something that they, they teach at West Point, they teach in the Army and in the military in general is um, you're going to be put into positions where you don't know how to be a company commander or a platoon leader or an executive officer, but the army is saying that they've trained you and prepared you to do that. So you need to step into that role and be successful. And how do you do that? Well, it's surround yourself with the best people you can find and learn from them. So your non-commissioned officers, your soldiers, you've got more combat experience than you. Um, you leverage what they do to, to be like the, the quarterback or the, the uh, conductor in an orchestra to, to build the team and, and, and make it work. That's so great. I, and I love that sense of, of building that team around you. And I, I appreciate the reference to message to Garcia, because I feel like not only is that a story that has helped me in my own entrepreneurial journey, I also feel like that goes contrary to how most people view veterans, which is like follow orders and need, needing to be told what to do. And that to me is always a sense of like, no, 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 no. Like most people who have served in the military have operated under extreme ambiguity and, and yet gone on to learn and discover and accomplish the mission, which is a lot of what entrepreneurship is. Was there a, um, I'd love for, I know a lot of our listeners aspire to start a company as well. And I'd love to paint the picture for them of the financial foundation. And I'm just kind of curious, um, how did you, how did you do it? Like, I'm guessing because you're reinvesting in the business, you're not drawing a large salary or any salary potentially for an amount of time. And I'm curious just kind of what lessons you'd give to people around getting an idea to a certain point while you're working elsewhere and then how to survive financially in the interim of being able to draw a, a salary that can keep your family afloat. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the hard, those are the hard things to think through uh, for sure. Um, um, you know, if I really think back, like what was my financial situation at the time and, and should I have launched, you know, you might look at me and say, are you crazy? <laughs> Um, but what, what the approach that we took is, look, let's, let's pay ourselves a salary that we can live on uh, because that's practical, right? We need that. Um, but let's keep it there and, and let's go ahead and reinvest everything we can back into the business. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm good to, to give advice uh, in that regard because um, I definitely wasn't as prepared financially as, as I think I would have. But at the same time, I was I was making a, an educated um, investment decision uh, that Christian and I would you know put some together that was going to work, um, and then I, I did feel very confident. I wasn't going to put my family at risk if I didn't think that that was uh, going to work out. Um, and like I said, we had we had probably put in a solid year and a half of, of planning together, so um, we knew something was going to happen. We didn't know what, but um, you know. Yes. I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's great too. I mean, 18 months is a long time, you know, and I feel like what I appreciate about that is um, a lot of the conventional wisdom I see on social media tends to favor those who just jump, you know, and I, and I think that the, the assumption is you just 
you know, dive in and, and everything will work out. And what I'm appreciating about your story is, you know, 18 months is a long, that's a long time. And whether it's at school or outside of school, you were learning a lot and, and going back to your decision to build up, you know, what I would call maybe the consulting side of the business, you're then getting paid to help companies and learn. So you're like continuously building up knowledge. Where's the bigger opportunity? What do companies need? What's the pain point? How do we sell this? What's, you know, like, so all along the way, you're getting knowledge, getting knowledge and getting knowledge. And that point, you still jumped, you still jumped out of the plane, but that point was on a foundation of, you know, almost two full years of knowledge, insight, data, you know, KPIs. And, and that I respect more than just kind of this blind sense of like, it'll work out, which to me is not a strategy. That's like, you know, what they, they say, hope is not a strategy. That's like <laughs> relying far too much on hope. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, the way I approached it was, you know, like, uh, like any military operation, you're, you're going to have an operations order and it's going to tell you everything you need, you know, to at least start the operation. But then, you know, no plan survives first contact. So we thought, well, let's plan and prepare because that's prudent. You can't not do that. But then understand that, you know, once we're out there, you know, things are going to change rapidly and we just have to be flexible and adjust. Um, so I think that's something the military trains really well. Um, you know, for, for all those veterans out there. Um, the other thing, you, you touched on this, but I feel like I have some secret knowledge uh, that, that most people don't in that um, I know how good veterans are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, I think I, I'm biased toward hiring veterans when I can, because I know that I know the grit they have. I know the background that it takes or the, uh, the experiences they have and, and what it takes to do some of the things that um, you know, the, the country asks us to do as veterans. Um, so whenever I get a chance to hire a veteran, I'm already two steps ahead on the questions I'm going to ask, you know, because like, I, I know they've got the grit and, I, you know, I, I want to assess the character. You know, I want to assess, like, are they going to be able to align with our, our core values and, and be a, a, a wonderful member of our team? And if the answer is yes, I'm not worried about the skills. You know, that's our job. Our job is to train, you know, to train you, make you, make you uh, great at what you do. But I think a lot of companies out there, they look at skill sets, you know, and the best people that, that we can find don't appear on a resume necessarily. And, and most of the time they don't. Uh, if you look at our team, you, you could look at their resume and say, well, you know, they look you know, pretty good on a resume, but um, what really makes them shine through are all those intangibles. Like, Character doesn't come through on a resume. Grit doesn't necessarily come through on a resume. Um, so I think that's some of the stuff that, that I know about veterans, being a veteran that, that others don't. Um, so yeah, start to throw that out there. I think that's great. And I think that's, um, you know, that you're underscoring the importance of the cultural values. And I also am a big believer too, that it's like, you know, you're, you're hiring for attitude and you should be able to teach the skill sets necessary. How did you think about, or how would you encourage listeners to think about whether to pursue fund funding? And, and you talked about earlier about not wanting, at least at the early stages to like hand over control, but I can also imagine as you're growing this, you're reinvesting, you're living at the essential to live, you know, a wage that can keep you afloat, but not a lot of perks. It must be tempting the thought of like, let's just go out and get someone to give us the, this money. How did you think about that? Yeah, it's tempting. <laughs> yeah. You know, every, uh, every private equity group, venture capital group out there, they're looking for, uh, they're looking for low risk opportunities with a high upside, right? So if you, if you start a business, you put the, the work in, you build something that is working, um, that's going to be attractive, right? Because they want to be able to give you the capital to help you grow that at a fast clip so that they can, you know, then help you raise another round and another round and then have some sort of exit. That's a different game. And, and I would say anybody that wants to raise capital should understand like what that is, like what that game is, because, it's different than growing a business based on sound business fundamentals. Um, and both are okay, but you should understand the economics of that game. Um, and so we've assessed that multiple times, you know, as we've grown the business, because there is something attractive about that, you know, um, for many reasons, you know, not just financial, there's, um, I, I think there are many good reasons to do that, 
we've chosen not to because we know that that changes the game. And that's not a game that we're practiced at. It's not a game that we're good at. We, we enjoy building businesses based on sound business fundamentals, um, building great teams, delivering great services, building great products. Um, so that's where we're at today. And, and I don't know, I don't know uh, down the road if we would uh, entertain taking funding or not, but um, I think also it's a good, it's good to be in a place where you don't have to rely on that. Yep. Um, because if you have, if you're having to rely on funding in order to keep the business afloat, then that puts you in a, a risky position, I think. And I'll, and I'll share, you know, my, my first company story box, I raised about 3 million in capital and in two different rounds. And every time that I raised money, I lost sight of what customers really needed. And I started to think more like a, a VC of like these speculative products rather than like, what are people paying us for? What are they telling us they yeah. need? And that's not a knock on venture capital at all. I think mm -hmm. I like your distinction there of saying like, it's mm -hmm. two different games. Which game do you want to play? For yeah. me, the insight was, you know, especially at that point in my career, and I would say the same now, I'm probably not adept at building a company that is like you're saying, like you're, you're, you're at a loss constantly and you're growing. And you're, you know, in my view, that's like my, my skis are out, are getting out ahead of me. But what, <laughs> what, what you're yeah. saying that resonates with me, this is one of the ways we were, we're similar is the thought of like, let's have solid solid business fundamentals. Let's like build a business that makes sense. And it may take longer. It may, you know, it may be a longer road, but you have that control and you don't have someone pushing you to grow when growth might not be what best serves the company at that point. And, and I also like your awareness too, of even saying like at this juncture, it doesn't make sense, but it's like, as the company grows, just as we talked about earlier, where the company has its own life, you know, maybe six months, a year from now, it is the company's life's best interest to bring on funding. And then it's learning that and, and growing there. But I really do respect how you're very deliberate at letting the, the, the company move at its own pace without rushing it or, you know, throwing gas on the fire in, in a premature way. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, something I tell my team sometimes is like, like the way I look at myself is like a steward of the business, you know? So like we very much take a team approach, like our organization's fairly flat. You know, we have some reporting structure and responsibility structure, but uh, we operate in a pretty flat capacity and we like doing that. Um, so I think Christian and I are stewards of the business. We're, we're trying to make decisions on behalf of the business while also considering the impact of those decisions to the team. Um, and, and so I, I like, I like that we operate like that. Um, that's the way that, you know, I, I would try to uh, lead in the military as well as, um, you know, I've got an NCO counterpart, I might have an executive officer and, I, and I've got junior leaders and, you know, we've got to do what's best for the team, you know, so we're stewards of that team in, in a sense. Um, so that's kind of been our mindset. And um, yeah, the, the funding game is, is very interesting though. Um, and, and most of our clients are funded. You know, there's not many businesses out there that, that we get an opportunity to serve that, that are self-funded and, and there's reasons for that. Um, it's just a slower, it's a slower road for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I guess to sum it up, you know, funding is interesting, but you just need to understand the risk involved with taking that. And then does that, does that align with your business objectives? Because if it does, then it's probably really good for you. And if it doesn't, it might hurt in ways you didn't expect. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, I think that that phrase like steward of a business is so great. I think of it as a parent as well, where I'm like a steward yeah. of this child. I'm not responsible for his decisions and all of these things. I'm just trying to let him grow into whatever his crazy life is going to be. <laughs> and that's, you know, I am imagining with a company at your scale, just mm -hmm. like with a child, that must be difficult at times to kind of, let, you know, to act as a steward of the business and to let other people, I mean, you've, it's must be so different than when it was just you and Christian. And now with over 20 people, you've got yeah. different says and different interpretations and people running with things and you're not overseeing everything the way that you once were. And mm -hmm. I, I imagine that takes some amount of self-knowledge to be able to let people have the reins and let the company grow as it needs to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also just being aware, like, where are you like, where are your strengths? Like, what are the things that only you can do? And then what are the things that people frankly do better than you? 
um, and then being willing to give give up some of that control and, and let others step up into uh, you know um, areas of responsibility, um, which is why I like veterans because they'll let me know if I'm not good at something or if they're better at it, <laughs> and I like that that uh, that frankness and directness. Um, but but that is the difference of you know just being me and Christian and us you know talking about everything and then you know it being us and then also. Um, a lot of other leaders in the company and not knowing necessarily what's going on um, for every client, you know, for every service line, you know, for every function of the business, but having, you know, a cadence in place, we have, you know, annual offsite that we do. We have quarterly uh, team meetings. We have monthly um, executive meetings, and then we have weekly tactical meetings. So very similar to the way the military is structured, you know, with those different cadences for short-term, long-term planning, you know, that's how we operate. Um, so being willing to give up span of control, I, I think is important at, at some juncture as you scale. And, and um, one of the things I wanted to ask about with that thinking on scaling is um, as you look back on the way that you led in the military <clears throat> and the way that you lead now, are yeah. there any differences that stand out or, or changes in how you lead versus when you were in the army? Yes. Um, you know, in the army, the, the stakes are high, very high, right? You're, you're dealing with people's lives, um, which is a very humbling uh, responsibility. So the stakes are a lot higher, but uh, people can't really leave if, if, if they don't like the way that you're leading or the way that the th things are going. Um, they've made a commitment, you know, they're, they're, they're legally bound to those commitments. Whereas um, in the civilian world, um, the stakes are not as high. Um, obviously the, the stakes are still important because you're dealing with people's livelihoods, uh, families, uh, customer commitments. Um, so there are, you know, things to think about, but, um, also people vote with their feet, <laughs> mm. you know? So if, if you're not creating a good culture, a good environment, good opportunities for growth and the incentives with the team and the business are not aligned, then, you know, people are free to leave, especially in a good industry that's growing, um, and, and take jobs elsewhere. So, I'm, I'm highly aware of that. And so there's this phrase that uh, I hate to give uh, some props to the Navy, but, um, you know, the SEALs say, earn your trident every day. Mm -hmm. um, and the way I look at that is I need to earn my level of responsibility every day. You know, so I can't rest on my laurels or on the fact that I, get, I did a good job last month. It's like, you know, I need to constantly help keep the incentives aligned between the team and the business. And that's going to change over time. And we just need to be aware of that and be flexible. Uh, so it kind of goes back to that, that uh, idea of stewardship. I think it, it's in the civilian world, uh, people vote with their feet. And so you need to, you need to try to recruit and bring the best people on board and give them a reason to stay. Great. I like that sense of um, earning your responsibility every day. Cause I think that there can be, I'm imagining once you kind of get to the the level which you're at, which is is a rarity, I I can imagine there might be a sense of entitlement or you know uh, you know I'm I'm this genius rather than mm -hmm. like I need to earn this this responsibility every day and staying hungry. Um, yeah. One thing that I wanted to ask about is you you've been at this for over you know over five years or, or thereabouts, and I'm imagining the company has changed multiple times in those five years. As, yeah. as you look back on your entrepreneurial journey to date, what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Are there any mistakes that you've made that you've learned from or advice you were given that you'd want to pass along? Boy, um, yeah, I, for sure. I, you know, I made many mistakes. Um, I, I still make mistakes. Um, the nice thing now is that there's enough people on the team that they'll let, they'll let me know uh, when I've made mistakes, <laughs> um, for better or for worse. Um, I guess maybe the advice I, I would give is, you know, if you really want to do it, you should do it. Um, and, and so if you're going to do it, well, you should backwards plan and say, all right, well, what do I need to do to be able to do this? You know, there's some important things like making sure your family's on board. You know, if your wife's not on board and then you quit your job and, you know, strike out on a, on your own venture. Like that's, that's impactful. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it's really, if you want it, do it. Um, and then figure out who you need to talk to, to help give you the level of comfort or the information you need 
to, to bring that risk down. So if jumping and starting a business tomorrow is very risky, all right, well, over the course of a year or two, or maybe five years, how can I lower that risk, gain expertise and, um, you know, do this? Um, because I think if you have that long game mindset, that patience, you know, anything in life is achievable. Um, it just takes time. That's great. What about, um, I feel like you're in, in part of a much larger industry that is very appealing from a growth standpoint. Like when I heard about what you were doing for me, it instantly clicked of like, oh man, security is going to be at the forefront of every company's minds going forward. And I'm just curious your thoughts on this industry and why listeners might want to, you know, especially those who are still on active duty, the, they may want to consider doing something within this industry. Yeah. Um, you know, from a, from a business perspective, uh, I heard recently, I, I don't remember who said it. It was one of those, uh, I think it might've been a YouTube personality or business personality. They said, you know, just because an industry is growing doesn't mean you're going to grow. Um, you know, so it's like, but you still need to grow. Um, and you can be deliberate a bit about that. But I think as, you know, an individual, the reason uh, information security and privacy uh, as well, the reason those industries are attractive is because there's a talent shortage and there will be for the next probably five to 10 years, uh, definitely on information security. And I would argue even more so on privacy because privacy is still younger and uh, it's not as mature, um, you know, it hasn't been around and, and still laws are emerging all the time across the globe. So I think if, if that's something that someone's interested in getting into, um, there's just a long runway to start from scratch, develop expertise and really shape your career in that field. Um, and there's just so much you can do. Like what we do is, is, is just one part of it. I mean, there's, there's many companies out there providing security services, security software, privacy software. Um, so I think there's just uh, a lot of opportunity. And you touched on it before. I'm just curious if there's any other resources that have helped you in your career that you would recommend uh, to listeners. Yeah, I was I was thinking about this uh, actually because you had brought this up. Um, I think uh, maybe maybe two pieces of advice I would give, and then one book. Um, the two pieces of advice would be uh, one I've already touched on, but long term thinking. You know, if you think in terms of, you know, decades even, um, that kind of puts a different perspective on things. You know, if you're thinking of, oh, the next six months or what am I going to do when I transition, you know, it's okay to start in a job that you don't like. And it's okay to be there for a few years. Um, you know, have a long-term mindset because you will be able to achieve whatever it is that you want to if you have that perspective. Uh, the second thing is, and they would say this in the Army a lot, develop the situation. You know, um, things aren't going to be handed to you necessarily. Um, you're not going to necessarily know what to do, but if you keep moving, you keep developing the situation, you know, that's going to give, that's going to give rise to opportunities, you know, so maybe it's networking, maybe it's reaching out to people in an industry where you have interest and start building those relationships. Now um, you never know how those are going to shape out in future years. Um, and then the one book I'd recommend I read recently uh, and it was impactful for me as a veteran is Deliberate Discomfort by Jason Van Camp. Uh, Jason's put together a really cool uh, uh, program called the Deliberate Discomfort Challenge uh, that I did. It's a 60 day challenge, kind of a whole warrior concept. Um, there's six different uh, domains, um, including mental health, which I think is very important. And um, anyways, that book is very meaningful and impactful. And I think for any veteran reading that, they'll just, uh, it'll immediately resonate with them. Um, so I read a lot of books and that was one that really just kind of like grabbed me. And I said, wow, that's, that's impactful. I, that you just cost me about $12 because that is a hundred percent a book I'm going to read. I'm such a big believer in, um, the value of purpose, purposely choosing discomfort. And I, uh, you know, for those who do like Wim Hof, like I try to do at least a minute in the shower with the, 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 the water on full cold. And it's just oh, yeah. little things yeah. like that, that are, yeah. it seems so stupid, but it's, it's tough to do. And it kind of builds up a little bit of resilience. 
Um, well, I, I know we've covered a lot of ground here and I, I love those two, two last thoughts, long-term thinking and, and developing the situation. Anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, I, I think that's about it. Uh, other than what maybe the, the, the bonus or the thing, my, my PS to all these statements would be, um, uh, you know, I, th I think transitioning out of the army or out of the military in general is just, it's rough, right? So something a lot of people don't take the time to do is uh, acknowledge that. And so I think, you know, therapy comes in many different forms. For me, uh, I, I built over time a really scrappy home gym uh, in, in my basement. And uh, for me, that's my therapy room. So it's like when I need to get my, my mind right or just do some reflection, you know, that's where it happens. Uh, for others, it's getting outside, going on a walk, going on a hike, but do something, especially as you transition that allows you to reflect, to think, to uh, exert energy um, and find companionship. I mean, for me, that's building a team. That's my companionship. Those are my companions. Um, for me, that was very impactful uh, as I transitioned. So uh, for others, I would say if you can do those two things, you know, be okay getting therapy in whatever form that comes in, not alcohol, not drugs, you know, nothing, nothing that's going to derail you. And then also find that community, that tribe, uh, that companionship that'll, uh, I think that'll set you up for success. That's great. I, I, I appreciate that sense too, that whether it's the transition, whether it's starting a company, even the simple acknowledgement of this is hard can, yeah. can breathe <laughs> some air into that. So thank you so much, Kristen. For listeners, you'll find information at the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org. You can find more information about Kristen's company. It's risk the number 360.com. So the, the word 60, the number three, risk360.com. You can Google it as well. Um, and we'll have that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today, Christian. Thank you, Justin. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our Editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Hand. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.